Well, friends, I'm so glad that you joined us here at Anderson Hills. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in our second week of a series on the book of Proverbs where we're looking at God's wisdom. In the first week, you might remember that we looked at the foundation of all of this, right, which is having a right relationship with God, and that comes when we have a healthy fear of God, not a terror, but a respect for God, knowing that God is God, that I'm not, and so I want to follow God's call, God's ways in my life. If you missed that message, be sure to check it out online because that's the foundation for the whole series, okay? Otherwise, what you're hearing is just kind of like, eh, it's, it's good advice maybe, uh, but you're missing the power of what's really there. So we invite you to, to check that out with us. Today we're going to talk, uh, we're going to look at some Proverbs and other scriptures that show us how we can have a healthy marriage. And this is kind of one of those interesting mar- messages because we know that not everybody here is married, married and that there's a variety of experiences with marriage here in this room. Uh, some that some of you have been uh, living in just strong and powerful godly marriages for decades, and it is such a gift, such a blessing. Others have gone through divorce and a great deal of hurt that has been caused um, as a result of these things. Um, for others, um, are single and haven't been married. And a message like this, you might think, oh, well, shoot, I should have stayed home today, right? They're not even talking to me. But that's actually not true. Because for one, you never know, you may be married someday. Or two, marriage is a metaphor for God's love for us. When God looks at the church, he calls us the bride of Christ. So when we look at human marriage, it's actually like a kind of like the Happy Meal version of God's love for us. What we see in an imperfect form between two imperfect people is is like a picture of how much God loves you, how much God loves us as his church, and how we relate to God. So it really is relevant to all of us, regardless of where we come into this in our position with marriage. Also, I want you to know that while marriage oftentimes is something that, that can cause some hurt, Maybe the, the marriage that you grew up with and your mom and dad wasn't healthy, or maybe you've had that in your own life. I strongly believe that today that God wants to do a healing work through the power of his Holy Spirit. In fact, we're going to take some time at the end and pray for that. We're going to even give you the chance to come forward to the altar here at the end uh, just to be prayed for, because we believe so strongly in the healing work of the Holy Spirit that while all of us have been through things and have gone through pains, and sometimes those stick with us for a long time. We believe that God wants you to be whole and that God wants to move in that way. You know, God gives us this gift of marriage. It was really his idea to begin with. It was God's creation. And, he, and, and so marriage is a gift from God. It's a blessing. In fact, uh, Proverbs 18.22 says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. I like that. On uh, June 16th, 2001, I was blessed to find a very good thing when Jennifer and I said yes to, uh, to one another and to the Lord's call in our life. So we're, what, 22 years and two days in right now, and we are so thankful. So we're, I know by a lot of your standards, we're barely getting started at 22 years, but we're thankful for the start that we've got so far. And we, you're, you're looking at a couple who has an imperfect marriage. Like, we don't ever want to try to give the impression we are perfect humans. We are not. 
But we will, if you talk to us, we'd be happy to tell you that we are at the strongest place we've ever been in our married life. And it's only because of Jesus Christ. And so we believe so strongly in this because we have experienced that we are experiencing it in our lives today. And we're so thankful. You know, God wants his people to delight in their spouse. Why? Because it is a gift from God. Marriage is a precious gift from God. God, marriage is a relationship that God can and will use to help you grow closer and closer to him. I love kind of, there's a simple like triangle metaphor where you've got the bottom of the triangle is like the, the two people, the husband and wife, and at the top is God, right? And so as we grow closer and closer to the Lord, we grow closer and closer to one another. That our own spiritual growth, our own spiritual development helps us to, to grow in marriage. So just a few points about wisdom in marriage. There's so many different things we could look at today. This could easily be a series, but we're just going to put it into one message. The first is the Bible teaches about the wisdom of contentment. One of the greatest challenges in marriage is sometimes we, we in time, we become discontent. Uh, it's because we live in a world that is always comparing and all these kinds of things. And sometimes we can let that discontentment slowly kind of seep in. Teddy Roosevelt said that discontentment is a thief of joy. And Satan would love to steal the joy from your life by, by just putting bits and bits of discontentment in between you and your spouse. Sometimes they're big things. Sometimes they're small, subtle things that you let just come in and fester and cause problems. This happens in a few ways. Uh, first one's through comparison. Uh, comparison is a game that you always lose. You always lose because no matter what you have, you can always find a way that somebody else seems to have it better, right? Like maybe you and your family, you take an annual trip to the lake and you love this time and it's an awesome time. It's the best thing ever until you look at social media and see your friend that takes an annual trip to Hawaii. And you're like, oh man, the lake stinks. I can't believe we only go to a lake every year, right? It was fine. It was totally fine until you let some of that comparison come in. Until you let that happen. And it's really easy to do that in marriage. To look at one of your friend's spouses who does something perceivably a little bit different or better than your spouse does. And now you're unhappy because that person is different, somehow supposedly better than your spouse. Satan loves to do that stuff. He loves to do that stuff. And it's so easy, easy to let that stuff slide on into our relationship. That comparison game. A close relative of comparison is unrealistic expectations. We all come into marriage with expectations. It happens. We may not even realize our expectations. Often they come from our family of origin, the way that we were raised. And we just assume that, that our spouse should do this thing or should not do that thing or whatnot. And you might remember early in marriage, if you're, if you're married to, uh, where you found out some of those things, where your expectations did not align. And you're like, how could you possibly expect I would do that or not do that or whatever? Well, that's, that's how we come in. But when our expectations are, are unrealistic, Satan can use that to bring division in between the two of us. Uh, because we can look at the other person and expect things that just simply aren't reasonable. You might expect the person to talk like you, act like you, feel like you, respond like you. Guess what? They're not you. That's kind of why you find them attractive, you know? There were things about, I mean, if two of you were the same, one of you would be useless, right? So, and it would probably be you, sorry, but it just could be. So there's these differences between us, and they're not all bad, 
But man, Satan loves to spin them that way. To look at these things, you know, and, and to look at these things in a negative way. Your spouse is not perfect. I know you knew that already. Also, you are not perfect. That one might be a harder one to accept. But we're two imperfect people trying to do this thing together. So marriage has to be a place of love and grace. And when comparisons and unrealistic expectations set in, that love and grace gets smashed against the rocks. And our marriage takes a hit. And we may not even realize we're doing it. Maybe for some of us right now, God may be bringing some things to mind where you say, you know what, that comparison or that unrealistic expectation or that stuff the friend's been putting in your ear, that may not be good for you. That may not be good for your marriage. It may be time to be putting some of that stuff out to say, nope, that doesn't have a place here because my marriage is way more important than that stuff. And I'm going to put my marriage as number one relationship, number one human relationship in my life. And so I'm not going to tolerate that. Then third thing here where discontentment can creep in, and this one's kind of obvious, but it's sin. When we sin against our spouse, meaning we do things that are against God's will and God's call, or we don't do the things that God calls us to do. When we sin against our spouse, it goes without saying that Satan uses that to damage, to wreck marriages. Whether these be big things like lies, affairs, abuse, out-of-control anger, um, these kind of things. When we sin against our spouse, Satan smiles. Or maybe there's some of the more subtle things that, that we don't do, that we know we should be doing, but we get lazy about doing. These things, these things hurt. Why? Because, friends, holiness is key to a healthy marriage. If you want your marriage to become more and more healthy, grow more and more like Jesus Christ in your own heart. I promise you, it will help your marriage more than you could ever imagine. Because God created you to live this way. When, you, when you're living according to God's call, when you're saying yes to God's call to holiness, when you're growing more and more like Jesus each and every day, you're going to be growing closer to your spouse because you're going to get better at loving. You're going to get better at forgiving. You're going to get more gracious and more kind and more compassionate. God wants to do that work in you. And when your spouse sins against you, well, one thing we need to remember is to see our spouse through the eyes of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not die for perfect people. He died for sinners like me and you and your spouse. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are called to treat our spouse with a grace that they do not deserve because we, reserve, we receive from God a grace that we do not deserve. That's why Christians should be best of, at marriage of any people on the planet. We ought to be more kind and gracious because God loved us when we were completely unlovable. God reached out to us when we couldn't even reach out to him. God met us in the midst of our sin and our pain and all of this stuff. So if God did that for us, now if you're married, God has given you one of his daughters or sons to do the rest of your life with. How do you think God wants you to treat his daughter or son? Think about if somebody is married to your daughter or son. Many of you know this experience. How do you want them to treat your own child? That's how God wants you to treat your spouse. Because your spouse is someone who he created, who he loves, who he cares about, who he has given to you. 
So we've got to be gracious. Now, I understand when we're talking about sin here, there are, there are things that, that go, that, that where, where there are times where we need help beyond just working with one another. Uh, there are times, of course, where we need to seek the help of a counselor or a pastor or somebody else uh, when we're dealing with something. Um, there's also times that are really serious uh, where um, perhaps if there's some kind of abuse in the relationship, that's not okay. That's not God's will. God's will is not that you, for, for you to be anybody's punching bag, okay? That's not all right. And if you're in a situation where there's abuse, please seek help today. We're here for you at Anderson Hills. We don't want you to be going through that alone, okay? So we need to seek help um, to seek to set some boundaries and to, to, to discuss all that kind of stuff. We're, we're here for you. When we, and, but, but for things beyond those kind of things, we, we really need to be working these things out. We need to be people of grace and forgiveness. And in all situations where people have forgiveness, but really difficult ones sometimes require different kinds of boundaries. Solomon, he gives a lot of warnings in the book. Uh, one of the things he warns against more strongly than just about anything else is adultery. Solomon is super clear about this. He puts adultery as like the epitome of foolishness. He really paints it in a way that is different than the way that our world paints it today. Our world can be kind of lax about this a lot. Solomon, not so much. Proverbs uh, 6.32, a man who commits adultery has no sense. Pretty direct. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. Now, that doesn't mean that we cannot be forgiven, but you see the problem. You see how seriously he takes this. The next chapter, he, he tells a story of a man who gives in to the temptations of an adulteress. Listen to this. Uh, chapter 7. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Do you think of it that way? Because the world doesn't really communicate it that way, you know? And he goes on, gets more graphic, like a deer stepping into a noose until an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading to the chambers of death. He doesn't pull any punches. And quite frankly, he shouldn't. He shouldn't. I know this is uncomfortable. And, and there may be some today who, this is tough because you're here right now and you're having an affair. And I just want to speak directly to you. First, I want to say, you got to stop. This is not God's will for you. I know there's things, I know there's excuses, I know there's a story, whatever. This is not God's will for you. I just can't say that clearly enough. And it's time today to give that up. It's time today to return to what God calls you to, okay? It's time today to do that. Because I want you to know that, that we serve a God of forgiveness. We serve a God of grace. We serve a God of love. And I challenge you, if you're, if you're there and, and you don't know how to end it, please come talk to one of us as pastors. We want to talk with you. We want to help. We know that it's difficult. 
but we want something better for you. And then there's others who are here today, and you've got some temptations going on. And you've been a little like that guy in the story, but you haven't been seeing yourself as somebody who's going to the slaughterhouse. You see yourself as somebody who's just kind of messing around a little bit, just having a good time, just, you know, it's not a big deal. This, lots of people do this stuff, right? Well, I hope these verses are a wake-up call today because this is truth. This is, this is what you're doing. Stop and think about the destruction you could cause in your life in your marriage, with your children if you have them. Stop and think about telling the people in your life who are closest to you why you made the decision to do that. It's not where you want to be, friends. God calls us to something so much greater than that. God calls us, and, and, and this is relevant for all of us because God created sex for a good reason. It's, it's a gift for married couples. The Bible's really clear. This is why it exists. It's, it's something to be, to be enjoyed in marriage. And, and I know that's not popular, but I'm not trying to be popular. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. Because I believe in the truth, and the truth will set you free. I don't want you. I don't want you to go through the same pains and hurts all the rest of the world goes through when they live their own way. I want something so much better for you. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know freedom. I want you to have a marriage that's better than you could ever possibly have living on your own way. There's hope in the Lord. There's so much hope in the Lord. And you know, the key to protecting your marriage is to, to cultivate that contentment within your marriage or your singleness and, and to rejoice in the good gift God's given you. If he's called you to singleness or if he's called you to marriage, to rejoice in that gift that God has given you. Proverbs talks about marriage with very, like, just joyful terms. It's not all, like, like negative, don't do this. It's also a lot of very positive things here. Uh, for, in fact, some of it is so positive, it's even a little bit awkward to read in church, but I'm going to read it in church. <laughs> when I read some of this, it was a little quiet at 830. I'm just saying. <laughs> Drink water from your own cistern, running waters from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams in the, of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May, the fountain, may your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice with the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Fun fact, that is the life verse of three out of four teens in our student ministry today. <laughs> and the one other one... They're memorizing it right now as we speak, in fact. <laughs> the Bible presents marriage as this incredibly joyful and healthy relationship because that's what it is. That's what God created this to be. It's like some of God's best work here that God gives to us to celebrate and, and to enjoy. I love Solomon's words. Rejoice, delight, be intoxicated with love. We rejoice in that gift of our spouse. Why? Because they're perfect? No, you're not perfect either. It's not because of that. It's God's gift to you. It's God's gift to you. It's maybe the best gift outside of salvation that God ever gives you. Cherish that relationship. Build into that relationship. There's, it's such an important and valuable thing. This is how Jesus views marriage because marriage is a gift and all good gifts comes from God. 
Do you look at your spouse as someone to be celebrated and cherished and loved? Do you look at your marriage as something to be held in that kind of, kind of place? Or do you look at your spouse as this project for you to work on, to try to fix all the things that need fixing? I remember in premarital counseling, we were told that, that you can't change your spouse, right? And then we spent the first few years trying to change our spouse, right? People have to learn the hard way, right? But, but how we are changed is as we each work to grow, to grow closer and closer to Jesus Christ. That's how real change happens in a marriage. And it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing what God can do. Key to marriage is very profound and yet extremely simple. Genesis 2.24 says it this way. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Jesus himself will quote this, right? This is like the foundation of marriage, that, that God makes us one. When we, do, when we do weddings, we oftentimes have a unity candle or unity sand, right, Where, that shows how God takes the two, and the two are still real, they don't go away, but they make this brand new unity together that God wants for you and your spouse to be one. So many things in this world want to pull you apart and turn you against each other, but God wants you to be one, to be one in him. That, so when you come upon a problem, and it's really easy to get on the opposite side of the problem and to see it as you versus your spouse, instead, you want to come around to the other side and say, no, it's, it's John and Jennifer versus the problem, not John versus Jennifer. Because when it's John versus Jennifer, the marriage always loses. When, when it's John and Jennifer versus the problem, great things can happen. God can do so many great things. Solomon also calls us to have um, peace in our marriage. He talks about the wisdom of marriage peace. All couples experience conflict and all that kind of stuff. It's going to happen in your life. I promise. If you're married and it hasn't, good for you. It will. I promise. <laughs> it's going to happen. The key is what we choose to do with it. Are we going to be a people of forgiveness and grace? Are we going to be a people of, of love and forgiveness when things go wrong? Or are we going to always hold on to that kind of stuff? Because it, do it doesn't do any good. Forgiveness is a decision. It's sometimes an ongoing decision that I'm not going to seek to punish the other person. I'm not going to seek to get what seems to be rightfully mine. I'm going to instead forgive as God forgave me. What did you do to earn God's forgiveness? Nothing. And the same is true in marriage. Why do we forgive? Because God forgave us. We pray that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, right? We say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do you want God to forgive you in the way that you are forgiving your spouse? If the answer is no, well, it's time to change the way you forgive your spouse because bad news, we're not changing the prayer, okay? <laughs> not going to happen. So it's time to choose how you forgive, change how you forgive your spouse, You've got to change that. And finally, Solomon gives us wisdom in delighting in one another. I talked a, bit, a little bit about this earlier, but I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. 
how essential it is that you find your delight, you find joy in each other. Because God wants to bring so many good things through your marriage. He wants you to delight in each other, not to resent each other, to love each other, to care for each other, to be there for each other when nobody else in the world is. And it's such a beautiful thing. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, this, <laughs> this all sounds cute, but you don't know where we're at in marriage right now. We could not be farther from this stuff. Friend, I just want you to know there's hope. I want you to know that things can be different. If you ever doubt that things can be different, come talk to Jennifer and I. Twelve years ago, we were not where we are at this point. Either one of us would be happy to tell you that. Twelve years ago, we, were, we had been married for a decade, which is long enough, but we had a lot of things not figured out at all. We were in a really bad place. We were in a place where we weren't sure if we were going to be able to continue to be married. And I've told you this before, that we know, we know the reason that we are married today and the reason that we have a strong marriage, marriage today is only one thing, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. He took two imperfect people. He changed us. He is changing us. And he's brought about so many things that we could have never imagined. But we had to each submit ourselves to Jesus and to his call in our life. And he wants, he wants to do that work in you too. So I've got a lot more written here, and I'm just going to stop. <laughs> not because it's not worth saying, but because there's something more important. Because I believe that God wants to bring healing in our marriages. He wants to bring our marriages to a new level. He wants to do work that we could never imagine possible. He wants to bless us in our singleness, if that's where we're at. Believe that God wants to do these things. So we're going to take some time today. I'm just going to pray over everybody. And then during the last song, I invite you, you might want to come up with your spouse and just kneel here and pray. Just give yourselves to God once again. If there's something that, maybe there's something that's a struggle or maybe there's something that's a great joy. Coming up here doesn't mean that things are falling apart. It's okay if they are. It's okay if they're not. God meets us right where we're at. So I'm going to invite you during this last song too, just to take some time and come up and pray uh, together or to pray for whatever's going on in your life. So Jesus, would you be the center of, of every marriage in this room. We confess that there are many things that we may have let in that have caused a lot of hurt and pain. We give it all to you right now. Forgive us of our pride, our arrogance. Forgive us of our resentment, comparison, judgment. Forgive us of all the sins we've done that have brought in a lot of hurt and pain. We confess. And we trust that when you went to the cross, Jesus, you took every one of those things so that we could be whole individually and in our marriages. God, I pray for the couple who's here today and is ready to throw in the towel. Please, God, give them the strength for one more round. Not against each other, but, but with each other and with you. 
fighting against all that Satan has thrown in their way, trying to mess up their marriage. God, I pray for wholeness. I pray for healing. I pray for unity. God, I pray for, for the ones who are separated now, that you would even do an act of restoration, something we couldn't even see coming, God. Just do it because you're capable of that. Lord, we pray for the ones who've been hurt by the pain of divorce. God, I just pray for healing, for grace, to know that your grace is greater than all of our sins, God, all the sins of our spouse. Please bring that grace. Please work. And God, I pray for everybody here who's not married, who someday will be married. God, I just pray. I pray for their future marriage. I pray for their future spouse. I pray for purity. I pray for holiness. I pray for, for direction and guidance. I pray for that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in their life right now and, and in the future too, God. Help them never to see themselves as incomplete. <laughs> That's a lie. Help them to know that you are at work and powerful in their lives. God, we love you so much. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.